Well, again, welcome to all of you. Uh, welcome, church. It's great to be together. Guests, we're so glad you're with us. Online audience who's with us live, we're grateful that you're tuning in right now. And I don't know about you, but I really like going to the movies. And oftentimes at Christmas, I think about movies because growing up as a kid, that was one of the traditions that I typically carried out in my family was we would, sometimes the teenagers would go watch a movie on, on Christmas morning after everything else happened. And, and, and I, just, I just really like going to the movies. But I like the whole experience. So for me, going to the movies means getting there in time to sit down so you can start to watch the trailers too. And I know about some of you in this room, you're the kind that you think the trailers are there so that you have extra time to get to the movie, extra time to get your popcorn. Like, no, 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 no. For me, the the trailers are part of the experience because I get excited about what's coming next. I get excited at a sneak peek of, of what's about to happen. And as we come to Christmas, I don't know if you know this, but the birth of Christ had a trailer too. If we were to think of the birth of Christ like a movie, the actual birth of Christ is the main event, the main attraction, but there was another birth in the Christmas narrative. There was another key historical godly figure born as almost like a trailer before the birth of Christ. And if you know his name, say it, the birth of John. Some of you were like, I don't know. And that's my point, is a lot of times the, the birth of John is really minimized or overlooked in the Christmas narrative. And John, otherwise known as John the Baptist, because he was going to take on a, a repentance and baptism ministry, is such a significant figure in the Bible. Every single one of the New Testament Gospels has John in the beginning. Matthew 3, Luke and Mark and John 1 all have John the Baptist. So clearly he was a key figure to the Lord. And if God wove the birth narrative of John into the birth narrative of Jesus, then maybe we should too, right? And we should understand that that prepping people for the birth of Christ God also involved the birth of another special man for his work. And so as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we want to start by looking a little bit more at the trailer, looking a little bit more about John, who is going to point toward Christ. John is known as the forerunner of Christ, or the one who would come to prepare the way, or proclaim, or herald, like the song, the herald, to proclaim that Christ was going to come. And one of the things I think we can learn today And in fact, if I were to pick one word to frame in or summarize what we can learn today by looking at the narrative of the birth of John the Baptist, I would say it's the word faithfulness. When you think about the birth of John the Baptist, we really should rally around this word faithfulness by what we're going to see today. And I think the life message for us personally is that we can walk faithfully because God is faithful. And as we look in the Bible here, you're going to see touch points that highlight God's faithfulness and touch points that highlight um, faithfulness in the people of God. So let's jump right in. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. It's a New Testament gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 1. And uh, we are big fans of being a BYOB uh, church, bring your own Bible. We think it's important that you get to open up uh, through your application that you take notes in on a device or through a physical copy of the Bible and see God's word for yourself. And so if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, the verses will be on the screen, but we encourage you to bring them back. And also, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift for free. Stop by the information center on the way out, and we'd love to give you a Bible. But let's join together 
By looking at this trailer, if you will, uh, before the birth of Christ, by looking at the birth of John. And we're in John, or Luke um, chapter 1. And what I'm going to do is just read a little bit and stop and unpack some things and read a little bit and stop and unpack. But let's start with a few verses here. Uh, Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Uh, we just need to make a couple introductions and then a couple observations here. Uh, first, the Herod that's being talked about here. If you're not familiar with the Christmas narrative or this moment in history, uh, this is King Herod uh, the Great. Uh, he was also um, the first Herod on the scene. He was put in place by Rome from about 37 BC to rule to 4 BC. And so he was the one reigning in place. He, was, he had a huge ego. And he had a vicious rule. So this is the Herod that interacted with the Magi who came looking for the birth of Christ. Uh, this is the Herod who killed all the two-year-old boys and below in the region of Bethlehem, making sure that this Messiah child wasn't going to come on the scene. He's known as Herod the Great uh, because of the great building projects that he did. You can still see the ruins of those today in modern-day Israel. And when you go... Fast forward 30 years to the life of Christ, you hear about another Herod. And so you're like, is this the same guy? No, that's Herod Antipas. That's the son of this Herod, Herod the First or Herod the Great. So that's the bad guy. We don't need to talk anymore about him. But it gives you a timeline of when all these events happen. Now we see this wonderful Hebrew couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And some of you are thinking, why are you saying Zechariah? My Bible says Zacharias. Which is it? Oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, Zechariah is the Hebrew expression of his name. Zacharias is the Greek expression of his name. So your Bible might emphasize one or the other. Uh, I like Zechariah just to honor the Hebrew aspect of his name. And he's married to Elizabeth. And uh, what we see here is that Zechariah is a priest. He's a Jewish priest, which means uh, his tribe, his clan serves in the temple services of the Jewish faith. And he married Elizabeth, who it says is a son of, or a daughter of Aaron. And Aaron was also a priestly uh, tribe in Israel. So in our common vernacular, what we see here is we've got a pastor that married a pastor's daughter. All right. We've got a priest and a priest's daughter. This is a ministry couple, if you will. And their uh, description is amazing here. It says that they were very righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in the ways of God. Now we know uh, no one's perfect outside of Jesus, but this couple was really, really, really good. And so if you took a photo of them and posted it online, you'd be like, hashtag faithful, all right? Faithful couple, love the Lord, they're faithful in the service. One bummer in their life though. And the bummer in their life is they don't have a child. Elizabeth is barren. And to me, this actually uh, accentuates their faithfulness. Now, uh, you, a lot of you know that infertility is a very painful and rough road. Some of you know that's part of our story in, in, in our life. Uh, a lot of you, I, I, we've had a chance to talk to some of you. You know the pain of infertility. And so it was even amplified 
more in this ancient context. You, you didn't have an heir. You had no one to carry on the family name. There was no one to take care of you when you were old. And culturally, if you were barren, it wasn't just a misfortune. A lot of times it was seen as a curse by the gods or by God. And uh, adoption wasn't as prevalent then as it is now. So uh, this is definitely a, a painful part of their life. But again, I think it actually highlights their faithfulness because we see how faithful they were to God in spite of their childlessness. Um, they could have been mad at God. They could have been bitter at God. He could have said, you know, I'm not going to be a priest. And, and they, they could have gone a totally different direction, feeling like God deprived them of something that would be so important to the hearts. But instead, you see just years and years and years, because it says they were advanced in years. That's cryptic code for like they were old, okay? Um, they were advanced in years, and uh, they, they um, had no child. And they could have just been bitter about this, but they stayed faithful. Now, I think what that can really help us with our lives is that I'm, I'm sure if we were to all sit down and talk, there would probably be an area of our lives that we feel like there is a longing that has been denied us. There's been something that we were hoping for that we were never granted. In fact, some of you might even be mad at God, feeling like God has deprived me of this thing I want so bad. And I think what we have here is a good model in Zechariah and Elizabeth going, they were, they were um, ancient <laughs> in, in years, and yet they were faithful. And so in the same way, uh, we don't know why God does not allow certain things to happen in our lives that we long for, but we too can be faithful uh, to him and not, not dwell in bitterness or resentment or to use whatever we've been deprived of to be an excuse to run from God and be mad at God. Instead, we can still walk faithfully in spite of that. And that's what we see here with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, let's continue forward. Let's look at a little stretch here in the next section, Luke 1, 8 through 20. Now, while he, this is Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Um, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Let's unpack this for a minute. This moment for Zechariah was a once in a lifetime opportunity. 
Uh, there were thousands and thousands of priests, and they only served a couple times a year. And so out of 18,000 priests or so that they estimated, uh, this would have been probably a once-in-a-lifetime um, opportunity. And in this opportunity, God coordinated this interaction. So here's Zechariah. He's inside the temple. He's doing his priestly duties, lighting the incense that go up before the Lord. Uh, that you know, really is a metaphor of the prayer uh, that we put up before the Lord. And he has this encounter with Gabriel. And let's look, let's look at some of these observations. Let's look at one very significant one. Uh, Gabriel says here, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Like instantly we should all be going like, what prayer is he talking about? Well, when you look at the next part of the passage, it says, and Elizabeth will bear you a son. So the instant assumption, and what some commentators say, is that the prayer for a child is being answered. Now, that would be easy to take that and move on, but not so fast. Let's think about this for a second. They're advanced in years, okay? Which, by the way, next time your spouse asks you if they look old, say, no, you look advanced, okay? That might go really well, okay? They're advanced in years, 60s, 70s, maybe up to 80 years old, all right? So let me just ask you this. How many of you that would kind of put yourself in that category, maybe 60s through 80s, how many of you are praying for a baby right now? I don't think many of you are, okay? You know, you're getting ready to go find the crib down in the basement so you can dust it off. Let's do the diapers again. Let's, let's, let's get a, another go around at that. No, you're not praying. Now, you might be praying for your kids to have the baby so you can be a grandparent, right? But you're, you're typically not praying for that. And so how much sense does it make that this older couple who's been infertile all these years is still praying for a baby in their old age? So it's not really likely that that's the case. Sure, it, it could be, but it's not likely. Now, if it is that prayer that Gabriel is referring to, it might have been a prayer from decades earlier. Hey, that prayer that you prayed 30 years ago? Okay, now, now we're going to answer it. You know, joke's on you, right? Um, maybe, maybe that's the way it went, but we think there's something stronger and deeper to look at here. What is the prayer of most Jewish people at this time? What was the prayer for the Jewish people for generations? And honestly, the prayer that we still see happening today by very devout Jews, the prayer is that God will send the deliverer. God will send Messiah. God will bring his kingdom. And so it's more likely that Zechariah, like every other Jewish person, and especially a priest, was praying that God was going to send the deliverer. God was going to send the rescuer. God was going to send the Messiah to deal with sin and wickedness and restore the glory of Israel, to, to raise up again the kingdom of David. And so that's really more likely what the prayer is that Gabriel's referring to. And so maybe it goes like this. Hey, um, you know, we've heard your prayer and Elizabeth's going to bear a child. Maybe. Um, or it was probably more like, we've heard your prayer. Oh, and Elizabeth's going to bear a son too. And that's what we see happen. So God is going to bless their socks off when they thought that this ship had sailed. And we know that's the case because Zechariah here goes, time out. Uh, how do I believe that this is going to be true? Because my wife, Elizabeth, she's hot, but she's advanced, okay? So how is this going to actually play out? What is Zechariah's response? It's disbelief. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel showed up in my house and said, God said this, and it lined up with his word, okay? Uh, I don't think I'd be like, wait a minute, how do I know I could believe you? You know, do some like angel magic trick or something, okay? The, the, Zechariah was in doubt here. He goes, how do I know this is going to happen? He's basically saying, give me a sign. Give me a sign that I can believe this. 
The angel's response, oh, I'll give you a sign, all right. Took the little remote and went mute, okay. For the next, no, almost 10 months, Zechariah now is going to not have the ability to speak as really a reprimand for his disbelief. Now, we're going to see how God's going to use it to glorify himself later. But here's the, and, and by the way, we think he may have not only been mute, but possibly deaf as well. And we'll look at that in a second. But at this point in time, his response is disbelief. I actually think we have two lessons here for us when we look at Zechariah's response. One is, man, it's really easier to take God at his word than to go the hard way. <laughs> like Zechariah, his response is understandable, but it really was unwise. And he didn't take God for his word. There are consequences for not believing God's words. And so we have here God's word. We need to believe what God has given us. There are consequences in our lives that play out when we don't believe what God has given us here. And so we can either take the hard road to belief, and maybe it's not, you know, God might not necessarily mute you, Okay, but there'll be other lessons to learn to realize, oh, God actually does mean what he says and that what he says is true. Or we can go the easy way and operate in faith and belief. And so we see that lesson here, like, hey, just believe what God says. But the other side of this is that when you go back to the description of Zechariah and Elizabeth, what are we told about them? That they were righteous in the eyes of God that they walked blamelessly. But yet, even though he's talking to an angel of God, he still has a moment of disbelief. I think that's actually encouraging for us because we can't be, I I think it's unrealistic for us to feel like our faith is always going to be pedal to the metal and there's never going to be a moment of disbelief or uh, in our life. And so if Zechariah can struggle with momentary disbelief, it makes sense that we're also going to struggle with disbelief in our life. It just doesn't make sense that we're going to live our lives without ever having a moment of doubt in God, ever having a moment of disbelief in something that he said or that we feel he's going to do in our life. Yet, we need to make it momentary. Zechariah's disbelief was momentary. And so in those moments of doubt or disbelief, we don't want them to dominate our faith We need to make them momentary. And so we see God's faithfulness even in how he's dealing with John right here. Now, we also see God's faithfulness as this interaction happens. Because the fact that Gabriel is now speaking to um, Zechariah is a breaking of silence. And and a lot of you already know this, but just for the sake of those who do not know this, when you look at your Bibles, uh, you, you have the two major divisions, right? You have what's called the Old Testament, which is all the events that happened before the birth of Christ. And this is how God dealt with his people Israel. This is how God spoke to the people through prophets and, and things along those lines. And then we have the New Testament, which starts with the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the you know, resurrection, and then the church age. But a lot of you, like me, have like one little page in between Malachi, which is the little prophet at the end of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, that one page in your Bible represents 400 years. 400 years of silence. God did not send angels to speak to the people. God did not have prophets telling the people what to do. God wasn't showing up in angelic visions or dreams or anything like that. 400 years of silence right here. And so we can probably pretty assured that during those 400 years, there were people that just gave up on their faith. Like God hasn't spoken 400 years. He's not going to talk. He doesn't care. He's silent. 
He's not doing anything. Now, we have to be wise enough to know that just because things are silent, that doesn't mean that God's not working, that God's not working out his plan. For example, you flip on your light switch every day. Every time we flip on our light switch and light comes on, do we not know it's because a lot of other people somewhere else are doing a job somewhere? They're working even though you can't see it happening, right? In the same way, God is always working even though you can't always see him working. And so you've got 400 years of silence right here. And you know some people probably had to tap out. And we can find ourselves in the same boat because we're sitting here going, Jesus was miraculously born. He had a miraculous ministry. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all the sins of mankind, mine, yours, the rest of the world's. He rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death. He hung around for 40 days in his resurrection body saying, check out what you're going to get someday. Okay, this is just showcasing the resurrection body. And then he ascended to heaven with one promise yet to be fulfilled. And what's the promise? He's coming back. He's going to return. And some people are going to look at us and go, wait, time out here. Jesus ascended 2,000 years ago, and you're still waiting for him to come around? Well, you're a bunch of loony bins, man. Like, you've lost it. See, so we've got we to come back to one thing that God gave us through the apostle Peter. 2 Peter 3.8 says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as, how long? 1,000 years and a thousand years as one day. So if a day to the Lord is kind of like a thousand years, then when we go to these 400 years of silence, God was only silent for like less than half a day. Okay? That's it. Some of you have been giving people the silent treatment a lot longer than that, right? (laughs) If we look at the 2,000 years from the ascension of Christ to now and to however long it's going to be before Christ returns, as of right now, according to God's calendar, God's only been gone two days. God's faithful. He's going to do what he says, even though it feels like he's silent, even though it feels like he might not be working. He's faithful. He's working his plan. And so as he's speaking to Zechariah, he's he's unfolding the plan for John, what John's life's going to be like as the forerunner, the trailer, if you will, for Christ. We just see faithfulness brewing here. Look at the faithfulness of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And you know what? It even included doubt, and that's okay. It was momentary. And we see the faithfulness of God continue to be showcased here. But we continue on. Look at uh, Luke 1, 57. Some of you are like, why are you jumping down to Luke 1, 57? Luke takes a little detour from the narrative of John's birth. He goes then to Gabriel's announcement to Mary, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But then we see the rest of John's birth narrative, starting with verse 57. We see God's faithfulness because guess what happens? Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Let's just stop there. Zechariah finished up a service. Zechariah went home, and just like God did generations before for Abraham and Sarah, God supernaturally opened up the womb of Elizabeth, and this lady who was advanced was able to conceive. And then we see God's faithfulness here in 57. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord, look who's getting the credit here, the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father. Time out there. Why are they signing to the father? If he's only mute, can't he hear them? So if they're signing to the father, there's a possibility he's not just mute. He also might be deaf. We don't know for sure, but you got to deal with that issue right there. And then what we see here is he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote 
His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You see God's faithfulness all over this? God said, this is what's going to happen, Zechariah. And it happened. Elizabeth's going to bear a son. She didn't give birth to a girl. You're going to call his name John. This is the role that God has for him. You see God's faithfulness continue to play out here. And you see some faithfulness in Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they're, they're being faithful, by the way, under pressure. So they're pregnant. Boy's going to be born. Boy is born. Everybody knows this is the hand of God. Everybody knows this is God doing this in the, in the life of this family. And as they bring him as the culture and the... the um, uh, the, the, the culture and the um, what tradition is at the time, they brought custom. They brought the, him on the eighth day to name him and circumcise him. And everyone's expecting it to be Zechariah. Of course, you're going to name him after his dad. That's the family name. And instead, you see Elizabeth go, no, his name's going to be John. And all the relatives are like, say what? Like, no one in the family's named John. And they pressure her a little bit. And then like, they, turn to, they turn to Zechariah, like, Elizabeth obviously is still like, woohoo, so what's, what are we naming the boy? And he gets the old iPad out, right? And he says, his name's John. That's faithfulness. They could have said, you know what? I know we were told by the angel months ago, this whole John thing, but we really do want to keep the family name, so God will just kind of work with that. They were faithful. They walked faithfully. Why did they stick with the plan? Why didn't they deviate? I believe it's because they really saw God's faithfulness. And they wanted to be faithful in that. And so they name him John. Look, you're going to be tempted on a regular basis to stray from faithfulness to God. Today, somehow, some way, if it hasn't already happened, you're going to be tempted to stray from being faithful to how God wants you to live. Tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month, until the Lord calls us home, every day we're going to be tempted to not be faithful to God somehow. And that temptation to not be faithful might come from well-meaning people who are good people that give you bad advice. And maybe that's how it's going to come. Or maybe it's going to be from um, people at work or people in your school environment or others who are inviting you to participate in things that are going to lead you down a road of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And by the way, once you start on the road of unfaithfulness to the Lord, then you're just unfaithful to the people in your life too, right? The people that you love and care about. Maybe it'll come like that, or maybe it'll be self-pressure. Maybe it won't be pressure from someone else. Maybe you're having a bad day, you're having a bad season, and all of a sudden, in your vulnerability, your fleshly desires seem to be very you know, genuine ideas. Like those, These are genius ideas coming out of my mind, right? Or maybe it's the, the worldly advice and the worldly ways. Of, all this goes, oh, maybe that makes sense, and you'll be pressured or tempted to not be faithful to God. I think there's just a great lesson, again, on faithfulness here, that Zechariah and Elizabeth stuck with the plan of being faithful to what the Lord said because they knew he's faithful. And they obeyed, and they walked in faithfulness. You and I can do the same thing and not let people pressure us to not be faithful to God. And so you see this faithfulness just over and over and over again in the birth narrative of John. And what I love in this moment is just as Gabriel said, once all these events happen, 
you're, you're going to be able to speak again. And all of a sudden, Zechariah, after 10 months of at least not being able to speak, possibly not even be able to hear as well, trapped in his own thoughts, trying to reflect on that moment, if I could have just told Gabriel this, everything would have been much better in my life. And he goes, opens his mouth to speak. And what comes out of his mouth? Praise of God. He's praising God. And God uses that mouth that hasn't spoken in 10 months to give prophecy, to, to speak about in a, in a foretelling way what's going to be true of John. And I don't want to look at all of it, but I just want to zoom in on a little bit of John's role. Look at verse 76 of Luke 1. And now through this, these lips that haven't spoke, this tongue that hasn't spoke for 10 months, you see Zechariah saying this, about John to John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah is speaking God's faithfulness and God's faithful plan over John, which if you don't understand the backstory, you might miss this. God promised hundreds of years before that he was going to send a trailer to the movie. He promised hundreds of years before he was going to send a forerunner, someone who was going to come in advance before the one who was to rescue people from their sins. In fact, if you look back 800 years, 800 years before the birth of Christ, which is what? Less than a day in God's time, okay? In Isaiah 40, what we see, he says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 400 years before the birth of John, we see in Malachi, God again, talking about the trailer coming before the movie. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And what happens? John is born and as we'll look at in, in weeks to come, he fulfills these very things. Why? Why did all this go down according to plan? Because God is faithful. And because God is faithful, you and I can walk in our faithfulness, trusting in God's faithfulness. One other thing I like about this moment when we think about John's role, John's role was to come before Christ and then start to point everybody to Jesus. There's one who's coming who will forgive sins. There's one who's coming who will. He was always pointing to Christ. So John came before the first coming of Christ to point everybody to Christ. He was that forerunner. Here's what's interesting. We know that Christ is coming again. Guess who the forerunners are now for the second coming of Christ? Look at yourself. We are forerunners of Jesus. Just like John pointed to Christ and went before him before the first coming, we also point to Christ and proclaim him, herald him, try to prepare relationships around us for Christ in the same way. We're able to carry on that same type of ministry as John had in our lives, and we want to be faithful in it. And by the way, on that note, there might be some of you sitting here or watching online that as we're talking about this, you realize you don't have a relationship with Christ. And so you just have to realize that what it means to become a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ, is that at some point in your life, what many of us in this room have done, is that we realize we can't trust our own selves to get forgiveness from God. 
It's not about being a good person. It's not about doing good works so that we can get forgiveness. Uh, We try to be good people and we try to do good works because we're forgiven, not to be forgiven. And so what happens is you come to the end of yourself, you turn from trusting in yourself and you turn to trusting in Christ who died on the cross for you, who rose from the grave to evidence his power over sin and death. And if you've never done that, you simply tell God that you believe. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe, he, I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave to conquer sin and death. And you believe in your heart that God rose him from the grave. And so this is what it means to convert and come to Christ. And if you've never done that, you can take a step that direction today. And maybe you're not ready. That's fine. Keep listening. Keep learning. But if you're ready today, just tell the Lord, I believe. Come into my life. And we want to celebrate that with you. And we want to walk with you and help you grow And so uh, one mechanism that we have that we can touch base is in your program. There's a response card. You can indicate there that you're giving your life to Christ and put some sort of contact information on there. Turn it in so we can get in touch with you, tell you how to grow in your relationship with Christ. If you're online, you can send us an email at connect at cvconline.org. We'd love to get in touch with you because uh, God has been faithful to draw you to himself. Now be faithfully responsive to the invitation. And for those of us who know Christ, we can walk faithfully because God is faithful. Some of you might be asking, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to walk faithfully? Well, looking at some of the uh, evidences of what we see in this passage, here's a few different understandings of what it means to walk faithfully. One is we faithfully pray because God faithfully answers prayer. Everyone say in his time and in his way. When we pray, guys, We might not always see the answers we want, the answers on our timeline. God answers prayer in his way, whatever the answer is going to be, and in his time. And so we see here, Zechariah had an angel show up and say, how long was he praying that prayer? A very long time, probably. And so we can faithfully remain in prayer even when we don't see the answers we want when we want them. We just keep praying because God's faithful to answer prayers. So we're consistent and persistent in our prayers. Second, we faithfully believe because God faithfully shows up in the same way that he will answer prayer in his time and in his way. God will show up in his time and in his way. 400 years of silence. It doesn't make sense to us. For God, it does. 2,000 years now we're waiting on Christ. I'd love for Jesus to come back today. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe after I go see family stuff in a couple weeks, maybe you can come back in a couple weeks. We can, you know, all that. But bottom line is, like, we're ready. Christ's come back. Why hasn't he come back? In his time and in his way. In the meantime, we faithfully believe. We don't let anyone else pressure us out of our faith in the Lord. We don't, you know, put pressure on ourselves to, to, to lead into doubt and let it dominate our faith. We just faithfully believe and step in faith every day, even when God seems silent. Even when we don't, it doesn't seem like he's working, he is. And so in his own time, in his own way, he shows up. So we can faithfully believe because God faithfully shows up. And thirdly, we can faithfully obey because God faithfully rewards obedience. Uh, there's, a, there's a sick part of my brain that wonders what would have happened if Zechariah decided to change the name at the last minute. Like what if he's like, I kind of like the name Bob, you know, let's go with Bob. What would have happened to Zechariah? Would he have never spoke again? Because his tongue wasn't loosed until he obeyed what was told him. 
And so the theme we see in Scripture oftentimes is that God rewards obedience. Now, that's not in the name it, claim it, you know, prosperity gospel sense of like, oh, I get to obey God, I get a new car. That's awesome, okay? That's not, that's not what we're talking about. God may give material rewards for obedience, but more importantly, more often, he seems to give immaterial rewards for obedience. For example, Zechariah and Elizabeth, what did it say they would experience once they had John? Great joy. It was a joy. Guys, obeying God alone is a reward. Like the joy of obedience is a reward just, just in our obedience. Um, also, he might give you more wisdom. He might give you hope. He might give you strength in difficult times. He might give you, uh, I think I said wisdom. He might give you influence. God's arsenal of rewards is limitless. And so our job is just to faithfully obey, trusting that somehow, some way, God's going to reward us. And by the way, rewarding always doesn't look like something that's come to us. Sometimes God's reward in our life is something that's prevented from coming to us. And so we have to make sure that we look through the eyes of faith, the eyes of faithfulness to see God's reward for obedience. So when we say we can walk faithfully because God is faithful, we're saying we can pray faithfully because he answers prayer. We can believe faithfully because he shows up and we can obey faithfully because he rewards obedience. That's what it means to walk faithfully. Now what I want to do to uh, finish up the rest of our time is I want to take what we've talked about and I want us to take it into a time of reflection and prayer. And what I mean by that is instead of talking about God, I think we need to spend some time as a church talking to God about these things. And so I want to spend a, a twofold uh, time with you right now. I want us to have some inward reflection, things that, that operate inwardly, and then I want to look at some outward reflection uh, with you together. And so first thing is I want you guys to think about how you would answer these four questions. This is for our inward reflection and prayer time. First, What's one way you've seen God be faithful to you? Like when you survey your life and you look for God's fingerprints in your life and how God has shown up, how have you seen God be faithful? You've got a big blank spot in your program there. You can just start to write down a few ideas. Like how have you seen God show up and be faithful? These will become prayers of thankfulness in a minute. God, thank you for, thank you that. Lord, I'm so grateful that you did this. These are prayers of thankfulness. Second question, what's one area you still need to surrender and trust God to be faithful in? Maybe this is something that you're waiting on, or maybe this is something you feel forgotten in. You know, maybe you feel like God's silent here. This is a time just to ask God to help you. Lord, I don't know why this has been denied me. Lord, I don't know why this is taking so long, but I'm just going to continue to be faithful. I'll still ask you for it. But even if you never give it to me, even if you never do that, I'm going to be faithful. And so this is just a prayer of surrender. This is a prayer of trust. Third question for reflection. What's one area God has given you the grace to be faithful in? Like, let's celebrate victory. Some of you have had great victory in your life. Some of you have come out of dark places, addictions, broken relationships. And you look back and go, because of God, this has been an area of victory in my life. This is another prayer of thank you. Lord, thank you that you allowed me to do this faithfully. Lord, thank you for allowing me to, to come out of this scenario. Fourthly, what's one area of your life you need God's help to be more faithful? Maybe this is a sin issue in your life. 
Maybe this is a failure that keeps popping up and you just want it purged from your life. This again is a time to ask God, Lord, you know I've not been faithful to you in this area. Would you help me, please? I need your help. I need your strength. Help me be more faithful in this area. So I want to give you a couple minutes right now to think about those answers, reflect on those answers, and turn them into prayer. And then I'm going to pray with you on those things in a minute. And then we're going to look at some outward reflection time as well. So take some time, just you and the Lord right now. Look at these answers and turn them into prayers before the Lord. Lord, you are so faithful. You are so faithful to us. God, we confess that we probably spend more time trying to find areas that you haven't been faithful than we do celebrating the areas you have been faithful. So God, forgive us of that. God, help us to see your faithfulness every day, all the different ways you show up. And God, for the areas that we're still waiting on you, Lord, would you give us trust? Would you give us peace and hope? Would you help us to live and walk faithfully as we wait on you? And Lord, we proclaim and we declare that even if you never give it, whatever that thing is, Lord, we will still be faithful to you. Still walk in faithfulness. God, thank you for the areas of victory we've had. Thank you for the areas that we've seen you show up and bring freedom and provision. Thank you for providing for us, guiding for us. Thank you for restoration in our life. Thank you for areas you've given us new life in Christ. And God, for the areas that we're still struggling in, Lord, we cannot fix them on our own. So we surrender to Christ right now. And Lord, we pray for anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that today would be the day that they surrender and turn their lives over to you. So Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Help us be faithful in Jesus' name. I want us to think a little bit now on just a couple of outward reflections. John was a forerunner. He pointed to Christ. He pointed people to Jesus. That, that's our role now. Our goal of our life is not to try to build empire of comfort so that we can live in it. God has, has us living and breathing to glorify him, represent him, and go tell others about him and point to Jesus a lot like John did. And so a couple questions. What's one way you've been a good forerunner? Like this is an area of thank you, God, and celebration. What's an area that uh, you've been doing well in when it comes to your surrounding relationships and your community? What conversations are you having that you're planting seeds about Jesus or watering seeds about Jesus and maybe someday God will bring a harvest from that conversation or that investment in that relationship? Where, where are you doing well to, 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 to the glory of God? But the other side of that is what's one way you can increase your proclamation of Christ? Like what conversations do you need to have? What people are you avoiding? It's hard to be light when you're always in a room full of light. The only way to be light is to go where the darkness is. So where are you going? Who are you going to? And so how can you increase that? You know, one way is by inviting them to church. We know that. It's probably not always the strongest way. The strongest way is just the people you live next to and work next to and the relationships you have. But we know that God has used 
the worship service in many of our lives. And he, we know that he'll use it in others' lives. And so uh, Christmas is a time when people are more open to come to a worship service than any other time. People are more open to be invited and actually show up. And so we've uh, encouraged you guys, asked you guys, keep inviting. So you, you have uh, this invite card in your program with you right now. I encourage you to take it out, even hold it as we move into this next time of prayer. Who are three to five people that you're inviting? Who have you already invited that you want to keep praying for, that God does work in their life? And who are you going to invite in the next couple days that you would want God to go before you and just, you know, soften the soil a little bit for the invitation? So right now, let's just take a couple minutes and let's thank God for the areas that we've done well in this area. Ask God to help us bring to our mind ways we can continue to grow and even pray right now. Pray right now for a couple names of people that you have invited or will invite, hoping that they can show up here and take one more step closer to Jesus. Let's pray about this right now for a couple minutes. Lord, thank you that you've called us to a life that's more than pursuing comfort, than just pursuing stuff, that you've invited us to join your mission to seek and save and reach out to those who don't know you. God, you don't need us to do that, but you've chosen to use us, so thank you, Lord. And God, for the areas that we've been bold and courageous, God, thank you. We pray that continues. Lord, for the areas that we need to, Lord, for conversations with coworkers, with neighbors, with friends, with family, God, help us be faithful. Help us be courageous. Help us be loving. Help us to listen, not just speak. And Lord, we pray for those who are inviting to Christmas Eve knowing that they'll experience the celebration of Jesus and his birth. So Lord, I pray for Joe. Pray for a man who maybe for the first time in years is actually considering coming. And pray you take the invitation card I gave him. And Lord, would you just bug him? Would you just gnaw on his heart a little bit? Draw him to yourself? Soften his heart? Let him respond and show up to Christmas Eve. And may you use that, Lord, to plant, water, or harvest the seed for Jesus. May Joe become your beloved child. So God, thank you for this time that we can reflect on your faithfulness. Lord, we do pray it helps us to walk faithfully. Help us to pray faithfully. Help us to believe faithfully. Help us to obey faithfully because you are faithful. God, take our lives. May they be gifts for your glory and for your use. Lord, uh, these gifts we're about to receive in our offering, Lord, they're twofold. One, they're tokens of our gratitude because you faithfully provide. And Lord, they're investments in your kingdom work here in Northeast Ohio and beyond because you faithfully supply. So God, thank you for all you do. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. Amen.